My name's John Redmond, and I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And today on Peace by Believing, we're going to be thinking about the role of music in the life of a Christian. Music is very important. All through the scripture, we read that we're supposed to make a joyful noise to the Lord, that we're supposed to come before Him with singing. And so there should be a song in our hearts if we're walking in the Spirit, if we're full of God's Spirit, if there's no sin in our lives, if we're, if we're trying to live right, we should have a song in our hearts. Now, if you have your Bible today, I would encourage you to open it to the book of Acts chapter number 16. This is a familiar passage of Scripture. We read about the Apostle Paul and his friend Silas. They had been arrested in Philippi for their witness for Jesus Christ. They had been put in a prison. And the Bible says that while they were there, at about midnight, they began to sing praises to God. They began to worship God from that prison cell. And this passage of Scripture really is the uh, reason for the sermon today, because as we think about what Paul and Silas were actually doing in that prison by worshiping God under those very difficult circumstances, we find an example that we should follow. Now, as we study Acts chapter 16 and this experience they had, we see that songs sometimes originate in the strangest of places. You wouldn't expect somebody to be worshiping God from a prison cell. You would expect them maybe to be praying to God, begging for him to let them out of there, but not to be worshiping God. So sometimes in our lives, we're going through difficult times and having heartaches and uh, sadness even, and yet sometimes it's in those moments that God just gives us a song and we begin to sing. If not outwardly, we begin to sing inwardly. Maybe we just begin to hum as we walk through the house, or maybe we begin to whistle while we're driving down the road. But God has given us a song in our heart, and sometimes those songs are born in the strangest of places. And then sometimes songs are sung at the weirdest and the most unusual of times, at midnight. This was a time when most people would have been asleep, and yet Paul and Silas were singing and praising God. And then songs, as we'll see in today's program, uh, they have a far-reaching impact. One of the things that happens when we begin to sing songs of praise and worship to God, especially when we're going through hard times, is that those songs have a way of lifting our spirits. It's hard to be depressed and singing songs of worship and praise to God at the same time. There's something about worshiping God that literally lifts our spirits, and it just somehow makes those depressing and negative feelings and emotions uh, kind of go away. So singing lifts our spirits. Not only that, singing touches God's heart. When God looks down from heaven, he sees one of his children going through a great time of difficulty and pain in his or her life, and yet that Christian... That child of God is still praising and worshiping him. That touches the heart of God, and that makes God so very pleased and so very happy uh, with that particular Christian. And then singing can have a far-reaching impact. Did you know that when you worship God, and I'm not talking just about 
in songs. I'm talking about with your life, having a song in your heart, a smile on your face, a spring in your step, an attitude of faith and trust in God. When you live like that, your life can have a far-reaching impact. Now, as we begin the sermon today, we're going to hear a story about how one of the greatest hymns that has ever been written, how that hymn came into existence. It's the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Many of you know it. It's one of the greatest songs that we ever sing in the church. And so today we're going to begin by hearing how that song was born. Where did that song come from? And as we will see, it came to a man who was living under very difficult circumstances. His heart was heavy. In fact, his heart was broken. And yet it was in that brokenness that God gave him a song, and he just wrote it out on a piece of paper. And here we are all these many years later in churches all across the world singing, It Is Well With My Soul. I'm praying the story of how this song began will be a blessing to you. I'm praying this program today will be a blessing to you. And I'm praying that whoever you are, wherever you are, or whatever you might be facing, that God would place a song in your heart and that you would come through this experience better off and even happier and more joyful than you've ever been. Horatio Spafford. He had been a successful attorney in Chicago. He was the father of four daughters, an active member of the Presbyterian Church, and a good friend and supporter of Dwight L. Moody, famous preacher in his day. When Mr. Moody and his music associate, Ira Sankey, left for Great Britain for an evangelistic campaign, Spafford decided to lift the spirits of his family by taking them on a vacation to Europe. He also planned to assist Mr. Moody and Mr. Sankey in the meetings there. In November of 1873, think about how long ago this has been. Spafford was detained by urgent business and not able to go to Europe, but he sent his wife and their four daughters on ahead on the ship. Halfway across the Atlantic Ocean, the ship was struck by another ship, and within 12 minutes' time, it sank. All four of the Spafford daughters, Tanetta, Maggie, Annie, and Bessie, were among the 226 people who drowned. Miss Spafford, the mother, amazingly, was among the few who were miraculously saved. And she sent word back to her husband in Chicago saying, saved alone. And he knew that his daughters had died, but that his wife was still living. And so he made arrangements now to board another ship and to travel to Europe to see his wife and to try to, for them to comfort each other. And it says, as Mr. Spafford stood hour after hour on the deck of the ship carrying him to rejoin his wife in Wales, that when the ship passed the approximate place where his daughters had drowned, Spafford received sustaining comfort from God. Think about this. He's in the mid-Atlantic Ocean, and he's knowing this is approximately where the accident happened, where my daughters were killed, and God began to comfort him, and God began to speak to him. And in that horrible, sad time in his life, God gave him a song, and he wrote his song. And 150 years later, we still sing the song today, and it says this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well 
with my soul. And so I'm saying to you today, whatever you may be going through in your life, you say, John, I've lost my song. I've lost my joy. I've lost my excitement. I've lost my enthusiasm. I'm not looking forward to anything. There's no way that I could ever be happy now. Paul and Silas sang in prison. These people I've read you, just given these illustrations, God gave them songs in incredibly difficult circumstances. What I'm saying to you is, friend, it may be that in the darkest circumstance of your life that God awakens in your heart a joy and a song like you have never had before. Why? Because songs sometimes originate in the strangest of places. Not only is that true, but songs are sung... In the weirdest of times, in the weirdest of times, not only were Paul and Silas in prison, but it was at midnight. You wouldn't expect at midnight for them to be singing, maybe in the morning if they had gotten a good night's sleep and their body felt good, but here it's midnight and they're tired and they're in jail and yet they're singing to God. I've been on this church staff for over 21 years now and I've had so many great opportunities since I've been here. In fact, I think they've all been good opportunities, but one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had happened about 10 years ago. One of our members was having serious health issues, and on top of those issues, he ended up having a stroke, and things were going from bad to worse. He was in St. Luke's Hospital, and uh, he and his wife were down there, and he was fighting for his life. And so one night, I called a friend of mine, and I said, hey, I need to go down to St. Luke's, and it's kind of late. Would you mind riding down there with me? And he said, no, I'll go with you. And the two of us went to St. Luke's together, and we went in his room and talked to him for a while and tried to encourage him, tried to encourage his wife. We had a prayer, I did, for him that God would be merciful and certainly pray that God would heal his body, but just certainly that God would be merciful to him. And, and as we were getting ready to leave the room, he said to me, now remember he's had a stroke, so his speech is slurred. And he said, John, before you guys leave, he said, would you mind going over to the CD player? He had a little CD player that they had brought to the hospital. And he said, would you turn it on? And so I did. And he said, would you find a particular number of a song? And he remembered the number, and so I did. And he said, would you just play that? He said, before you all leave, I'd like to just hear that song. And so I played the song, and music starts going. And, and I, it was a great song. I, love, I, love, I remember that song very well. Ten years or so ago, it was, it was one of the newer songs. And and uh, back then, it was, it was one of the more popular songs. And so I was being blessed just listening to it. And about halfway through it, I, I was about to really be blessed because this man began to sing this song from his hospital bed with slurred speech after a stroke. And here was what he sang. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. And I thought as I stood in that hospital room in St. Luke's, I thought, you know, I came down here to encourage this man. This man is not encur just encouraging me. He is blessing me with his life. And what I'm saying is sometimes songs can be sung in the strangest of places. And it reminded me of Job. You know, after Job had lost so much, the Bible says that Job praised God, he worshiped God, and then Job said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so sometimes our songs can be sung in the weirdest of places. And then that leads me to the third thing I want to say and the final thing today. Songs, when they're sung like this, I mean out of your heart. I don't mean 
Because you're just singing the words. I mean out of your heart. Whether you sing a song or not. But there, it's, you've got a song in your heart. These songs have a far-reaching impact. They do. There's something about singing that lifts our spirit. I imagine when Paul and Silas sang this song in jail that night that their spirits were lifted. Sometimes we're with a family at the cemetery and they'll say, hey, before we close the service, could we have everybody to sing Victory in Jesus? This happens in about half the funerals I'm in. And so we're standing out there at a cemetery and we've just said the final words before the person, the, the body is lowered into the ground. And here we are singing Victory in Jesus. Now, you th- that's a strange That's a strange place to sing victory in Jesus. If it weren't for Jesus, you wouldn't be talking about victory in a cemetery. I mean, you take Jesus out of the equation, and the cemetery is a place of not victory, but defeat and finality and memories, and it's all over. But because of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, he was buried, he came back to life again, he conquered death. For those of us who have Christ living in our hearts, we have victory in Jesus, and so Christians can go out there. The only people in the world who can go to a cemetery and talk about Uh, victory are Christians because of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul and Silas sang that night, I'm sure it lifted their spirits, just like singing victory in Jesus lifts our spirits today. But not only does it lift our spirits, when we sing, when there's a song in our heart, that touches the heart of God. Think about this. When you have a song in your heart and you lift your voice to God, what are you saying to God? What you're saying is, God, I love you. I trust you. You're greater than what I'm facing. Not only are you going to see me through this. See, here has to be the mentality that we have going through difficult times. You're going to take what I'm going through at this present time, and not only are you going to bring me through it and get me through it so it'll all be over, somehow you're going to bring me through this better than I would have been had I not gone through it. See, that's why Christians can sing during difficult times, because God's going to do something better than he would have done had we not had the problem. And so we have to say, God, thank you for the problem. The problem is a blessing in disguise. I can't see it now. I'll see it one day. If I don't see it here, I'll see it in heaven. But God, through this situation I'm going through, you are working for me a far greater good than I would ever experience if I never had been going through this. And so, God, this is an occasion to sing. This is a reason to be thankful. This is a reason to thank you in advance. Now, back in Acts chapter 16, look in verse 26. What I'm saying to you is when you sing, it lifts your spirit. It touches God's heart, and it gets the attention of unsaved people. And that's what happened in this Philippian jail. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. See, when we sing, something happens so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why was he going to do that? Because back in that day, if you were a prison guard and the prisoners you were responsible for, if they escaped, you died. And so he said to himself, well, before they kill me, I'm going to take my own life. But verse 28, Paul called to him with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm. We're all here. In other words, just because the doors are open, that doesn't mean we've gone anywhere. Our joy doesn't come from getting out of jail. Our joy comes from Jesus being with us in jail. Paul said, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. Then the man called for a light. He ran in. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, and here's the greatest question in all the Bible, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
In other words, he was saying, there's something that you men have that I don't have. I locked you up. I put the chains on you. I put you in the back of the prison, and you're back there singing and praising this God of yours. Now there's been an earthquake. The things you could get out, but you haven't left. What makes you tick? And in verse 31, they answered his question, the greatest answer they could have given. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. In other words, if you believe, you'll be saved. If the members of your house believe, they'll be saved too. Verse 32, so they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, now the jailer's bringing the prisoners into his house. He set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And so what was it that got this man's attention. You say, well, when Paul and Silas told him how to be saved. Well, they never told him how to be saved until, they, until he asked them how to be saved. And the only reason he asked them how to be saved is because he saw something in them that he didn't have. Peace, joy, contentment, happiness. He looked in their eyes and he didn't maybe think it this way, but what he was seeing was a song down in their heart. And he was saying, men, I want what you have. And they told him how to be saved. And that's when he got saved. Now, we, we are having this emphasis that we're supposed to be going out and telling people, inviting people to church. And, and I think a lot of us are doing that. Hopefully more of us will, will be doing that in the days ahead. And it's true. We should go and we should tell people about Jesus. And we should invite people to church. But here's an interesting question. And maybe the best way to determine whether you have a song in your heart or not is to think about this question. Not when is the last time you told somebody about Jesus. That's, we should be doing that regularly. But that's not necessarily... the. Here's the question. When is the last time somebody asked you for a reason for your happiness? See, that's what happened with Paul and Silas. They went to Philippi to tell others about Jesus, and that's what they were doing, and that's why they got locked up. But when they were locked up, they weren't telling anybody about Jesus in that moment. They were singing songs to Jesus, but the jailer saw in them something they didn't have, and he said to them, what gives? What's the deal? What must I do to be saved? How can I have what you have? And I'm asking you today, when is the last time somebody in a restaurant, at your work, in your school, in any setting, not when's the last time you told somebody about Jesus, but when somebody brought it up to you? I think about this in my own life. I don't have this happen as much as I wish I did, but you know I had it happen last night. I was at a restaurant, and I'd just gotten seated. And a girl came up to me, and she works in this restaurant, and I, I, I casually know her. She, she, she's a sweet, sweet girl. And she came up to me. I was just sitting down to eat. And she said, uh, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, no, not at all. She said, are God and Jesus the same person? I thought, well, you've asked me a deep question. My dinner's going to get cold trying to answer that. 
But I answered a question. And we had a good conversation. And as I was coming to the end, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, you think there's ever been a time in your life when you asked Jesus Christ to come in, be your Lord and be your Savior? Have you ever been saved? She said, I have. She said, I have. She said, I did that when I was in the fourth grade. We talked a little bit about that. It was a, it was a, it was a great conversation. But I thought, you know, if there is a song in our heart, I mean, if, if there's the joy of Jesus in our lives, people ought to be able to look at us, into our lives, at, into our faces, and they ought to be able to say, whatever you have, I want it. You know the reason some of us don't lead anybody to Jesus? Because nobody wants what we have, because they can't tell we have anything. Yes, there is a sense that we should be going out and sharing our faith and inviting people to church and telling people about Jesus. We're commanded to do that. But there's another sense that people should be coming to us and they should be saying to us, what gives with you? Why do you always seem happy? Why do you always have peace? How do you have this joy? And they're not going to say it like the jailers. They're probably not going to say, what must I do to be saved? They may say, are Jesus and God the same person? What's the difference between the Baptist and the Catholic? They may bring something. They don't even know how to ask. But what they're saying is, I want to talk to you about God. And what I'm saying to you today is, and what God's saying to me, and what God is saying to all of us, if nobody ever ask you about God, I think you would have to conclude that at least it's possible that you don't have a song in your heart. And at least outwardly, you don't have anything that anybody else would want. Now, As we think about all I have said and try to process this, I think here is where this sermon ends and here is where we must initially apply it to our hearts. We must ask ourselves this question. Is there a song in my heart? Is there anything in me that would make an unsaved person want what I have? Because folks, if there's not... How do you think you're ever going to lead anybody to Christ? What they need to see in us is Jesus Christ. Can't see him. He's invisible right now. He's in us. But they can see him in our expressions, in our eyes, in how we treat people, in how we go through difficult times, in our faith, in our attitude, in our words. They should be able to see Jesus in us. Well, that is so very true. Other people should be able to see Jesus in us. When other people look at you and when other people look at me, they should be able to see the qualities and the manifestations of the Spirit of Jesus Christ who lives in us. You say, well, now, John, what does that look like? When you say people should be able to see Jesus living in us, what is it that they should be able to see? Well, first of all, they should be able to see love in our eyes and on our face and in how we treat each other and how we talk to each other. They should be able to see that, we're, that we have love in our hearts. They should be able to see that we have joy, that we're happy. Even sometimes when maybe life is difficult, we still have a joy in our lives. Now, I'll tell you one thing they're not going to see in us, since we are human beings who sometimes sin, they're not going to be able to see perfection. 
So don't put that pressure on yourself. When, per, when a person looks at me, I'll tell you one thing they never see. They never see perfection because I'm so very far from perfect. But did you know, that's even, even our imperfections can be something God can use to help people see Jesus in us because it is because of our own sins and our imperfections that so many times we have to apologize to people or we, we admit our own sinfulness and we admit that we have fallen short of God's standard. And so as Christians, we should never come across as holier than thou or as, you know, we're better than anybody else because the fact is we're not better than anybody. We are sinners saved by the grace of God. And so one of the things that people should see when they look at us, they should see humility. They should see us depending on Jesus. Jesus is the only perfect person who has ever lived. And so if we're truly saved and if we're walking with God, we should never send off an air to others that we're perfect or that we're better than anybody else. Instead, we should let it be obvious and clear to everyone else that we know we need Jesus Christ in our lives. And that humility sometime can be just what God would use to touch another person's heart. So I'm asking you today, can other people see Jesus in you? I'm praying that they will be able to and that they will be able to see him more and more clearly every day.